We have come to the last week, second to last week, I guess, in our 5G series where we're laying kind of the foundation of what City Light South and what the church is about biblically. We want to we come to God's Word and, and, and be shaped and, and molded by what um, He has to say to us. And so we're going to be in the book of Luke this morning, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 24, Luke chapter 24. So if you have your Bible... Why don't you turn there with me to Luke 24, starting in verse 44 to the very end of the book. And I'm going to read that, and then we'll, we'll jump into the message. He, this is Jesus speaking, he told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all of the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. All right, so we're in the midst of this building project. We're in the midst of this building project, and, and we've seen, we've laid the foundation of the gospel. The gospel is at the foundation of the building. And then we, we talked about the, looked at the first wall, the first wall of the structure because of the gospel. We gather as family. We looked at the second wall because of the gospel. We grow into the very likeness of Jesus. Last week, we looked at the third wall because of the gospel. We give generously. And this week, we're looking at the final fourth wall of the structure because of the gospel. We go to people and places where the gospel is not. Because of the gospel, we don't bunker down and wait for someone else to go. We go. We go. Uh, This is one of the very final instructions that Jesus gave his church, his disciples, before he returned to the Father. You'll find a similar passage, a parallel passage at the end of Matthew. You, You may have heard this one before if you've been around the church. It's called the Great Commission It's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. And Jesus said this, and the words are on the screen. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded to you. Gather, grow, give, and now go. Go make disciples. This is the heart of God. The heart of God is to see disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus in every nation, not just here, but everywhere. We want to be, as we've said in our vision, a fruitful and multiplying family of Jesus worshipers here in in Onkaparinga, here in Christie's Beach, and beyond. So, so, so we're really looking at both the, the here and beyond part of that vision statement this morning. We want to see more people worshiping God. We want to see more people saved by and have joy in Jesus. We want to see more people filled with the Holy Spirit. 
both here and far away. And just like last week, we saw that it matters not just that we give, it matters how we give. We're going to see the same dynamic at play this week. It doesn't just matter that we go, it matters how we go. And so we're going to look at that from this text in Luke. He cares, Jesus Jesus cares that we go out with not just a message, not just any message, but the right message. He, he doesn't just care that we, we go out at all, but that we go out humbly, that we go out joyfully, that we go out boldly in the power of his spirit. And just like we saw with giving, he's going to supply everything that we need for the mission. Everything that we need to accomplish what he says that we're to accomplish, he's going to give it to us and give and give and give. I shared with you Jesus' words from Matthew, but... This morning, we we read a less familiar passage in the Gospel of Luke. And this is sometimes called Luke's uh, Great Commission. And the emphasis here um, of Luke is is about getting the message right. Getting the message right. He's going to ground them, or Jesus grounds his disciples in the Gospel. He spends a, a great deal of time at the very end of his public ministry on earth making sure that his disciples understand the Bible, that they understand the content of the gospel, and he's going to send them out with that understanding. And then he's going to make sure that they have the power, not just to heads full of knowledge, but they need power from the Holy Spirit to be able to actually go out and make disciples. And also he's going to emphasize the same thing we saw last week. He's going to emphasize joy. The way in which they go out, full of joy, full of, as as worshipers, not ultimately as as sort of professors just dispensing knowledge in a dispassionate way, but joy-filled worshipers calling more and more people to that joy and to that worship. So here's where we are. Let's, Let's start back at verse 44. He said, Jesus said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you. Everything written about me in the law, everything in the prophets, everything in the Psalms. That's the entire Old Testament. Covers the whole thing. He opened their minds to, what does it say in verse 45? Understand the scriptures. And then he says, this is what was written, that the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations, starting at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the, the truth of the gospel that we, stayed, that we started with, the foundation. This is what God has done through Jesus to rescue a people for himself and then bring them into his perfect world. It's at the foundation of everything that we now are and everything that we do. The gospel is at the foundation. And so Jesus returns to that basic foundation right here in the very final words that he has for us before he goes to the Father. But where does this gospel message come from? Where does the, where's the content of the gospel come from? It, it doesn't come from Jesus' own personal, like from his imagination or from philosophy. He, he, he doesn't, he could have turned to his followers and said, guys, I'm the gospel. I, I, I am the gospel. And that would have been very true. But what does he do instead? He, he points them back to the scriptures written down, which they already had. And he does this twice in the very last chapter of Luke. In chapter 24, he's going to take a group of people. The first time, it's two people, 
traveling on the road. He kind of shows up and, 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 and sits down with them, or, or actually he's walking along with them, and does a Bible study. He goes from Genesis all the way to Malachi, the Old Testament. He says, I'm going to show you every single place where the Old Testament reveals me, points to me. And then now he does the same thing here with his disciples. Goes all the way back to the Genesis through Malachi. I'm going to show you every single time the Old Testament reveals me and points to me. You can read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you will see this theme show up over and over and over again. You do it like a little word search in how many times it says in those four books, words, phrases like, it is written, or according to the Scriptures, or this thing happened to fulfill everything that was written in the scriptures. Let me give you just one example. This is from Luke chapter 18. Jesus is talking to his followers, his disciples, and telling them um, that he's going to die. And not that he's just going to die a normal sort of quiet death. He's going to die a brutal death, and it's going to be preceded by a lot of suffering. It's going to be preceded by a torturous arrest and trial and injustice. It's going to be a horrible thing to experience. And he, he tells his disciples to prepare them for what's coming. But here's what he says. He doesn't just say this is all going to happen. He says everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. All, this things, all these things I'm talking about were written about in the Old Testament. And it has to happen this way. It can't happen any other way. Because this is what was written. So when you see these things happen, don't be, don't be afraid. Don't, don't be horrified. Don't be surprised. You just go back to the Bible. Why? So that you're not discouraged. You don't get scared. Because when you go back to the Bible, you don't just see that Jesus is going to suffer and that's it. You see that there's a happy ending just around the corner. That's there in, in Scripture. See, the same thing is true for us when we suffer. Now, we don't suffer in the same way that Jesus did. We don't suffer on behalf of other people so for the atonement of sin. But we do suffer. We do suffer all sorts of trials. And, 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 and the New Testament says things like, when you suffer, to count these things as joy, remembering that these things will, are producing in you character and endurance and preparing you for what? Preparing you for the happy ending that's coming. How do you know it's coming? Because it's there in Scripture. See, that's why Jesus points, his, points us, points his disciples back to the Bible. Verse 45, Luke writes here that Luke opened, or sorry, Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And as I said, this is the second time that he's done this. You go back to verse 27 with the couple out on the road. And here's what Luke says. He says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, he, Jesus, interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. I, some of us maybe struggle, like if you go through a Bible reading plan, you, there are books and places in the Old Testament that we really struggle with understanding. They can be a bit dry and culturally distant. And yet Jesus said, all of it is about me. All of it points to me. Even the, the boring bits in Leviticus, the genealogies, all of it points to me, which is amazing. But he uses the Old Testament to open their minds. And the result is, if you see how these guys that he's teaching, 
responded. It says that as Jesus was teaching them, it says their, their hearts were burning within them. That's the language that's used. It, it means they, were, they, they had this emotional effect response. There was joy as Jesus was opening up their minds and their eyes to the scriptures. Let me say one thing more about this when it says that Jesus opened their minds to understand. That's not just a fancy way of saying he was a really good teacher, that he was a teacher that everybody wanted to get in school. When Jesus opens their minds, when he opens our minds and our eyes, what he's saying here, what, the, what Luke is saying, is that he opens our minds to understand the Bible the same way that he opens the eyes of a blind man to be able to see. What he's describing here is a miracle, something that you and I can't do. On your, there's the, you think of the best preacher you've ever heard or the best TED Talk you've ever heard in your life. No one can open your mind or your eyes the way that Jesus opens your mind to understand the Bible. He's talking about at the miraculous work of God. And we can't understand the Bible. We can't delight in the Bible, in the Word of God, unless the Spirit of God has done that miraculous, eye-opening work in us. The next time you hear a song, the song, you know the kid's song, Jesus loves me, this I know, how do I know? For the Bible tells me so. That's not just a, a, like, a, like a little, you know, simple equation, something that we can write on the back of a, of a napkin. What that song is describing is a miracle, that your eyes, my eyes, have been opened to the fact that Jesus, who it has a status and a position higher than any other person in the universe. He's higher than any CEO, any celebrity, any king, any influencer on social media. He's higher than all of them. And not only does it say that he loves you in some generic way, but he loves you personally. He knows your name. And he's opened your eyes so that you know his. What that song is describing is nothing short of a miracle. Verses 46 to 48, Jesus points his listeners to a particular set of truths in the Bible. He says, this is the message that when we go, this is the message we go with. The gospel is written in the Old Testament that the Messiah, who was the, the, the Messiah was the, the promised rescuer of God's people. And that this Messiah would suffer and then rise three days Later, this is the gospel message that God's salvation has been accomplished through the Messiah, through the life and death and resurrection of the Messiah, Jesus. The promise continues in verse 47. It says, after Jesus is raised from the dead, repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus says the proclamation of the gospel, the going with the gospel, the spread of the gospel to all nations will start in Jerusalem move out to the ends of the earth, and that all of this was written down and promised ahead of time in Scripture. You think, okay, where in the Old Testament, where in the Old Testament does it say that the gospel will start, you know, 
in Jerusalem with a small group of people and then move out to the ends of the earth. Where does it say this in the Old Testament? Well, let um, turn with me. You don't have to actually literally turn there. Just follow me here uh, to back to Genesis 12. So 12 chapters in to the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, God appears. He shows up in the life of, of one man, a man called Abram. Abram lives with his family um, out in the desert in the Middle East, and he's there kind of minding his own business, and God shows up and speaks to him. And here's what he says. He says, Abram, I will make you into a great nation. And then he says, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. The word will shows up twice there. Whenever you see will coming from the mouth of God in Scripture, you know it is a guarantee. It's a promise. This will happen. He says, Abram, you are going to be the means. Your offspring, your children, the nation that comes from your line is going to be the answer to the world's problems, is going to be the blessing that doesn't just remain with you and your family, but it's actually going to spread. It's going to go to every family, every clan, every tribe, every nation. That's where it begins. All of God's people, from that day forward, are commissioned to be carriers of that blessing, to be communicators of that blessing. From Genesis chapter 12, that's God's guarantee. Come back to Luke chapter 24, verse 48. Jesus wraps this up. He says, you guys have seen these things. You're witnesses. You know about Abraham. Now you've, you know me. You've seen my, you know about my death. You know that I ra- was raised from the dead three days later. You know these things have been fulfilled. Now, be that carrier of blessing to the nations. Be that communicator of good news to the nations in your generation, in this geography, and in that geography. You're a carrier. You're a communicator. The gospel that we carry is the ground of our going. It's why we go. It's what we say. But what about the fact that we, men and women, are are weak, that we need to sleep, that we can't be everywhere at once? We're limited. Our resources are limited. Well, guess what? Jesus has you covered. Verse 49 He says this. He says, look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay here in the city, in Jerusalem, until you are empowered from on high. Until you're empowered from on high. I'm giving you everything you need to be that carrier, to be that communicator. Remember last week, where does your generosity come from? How is it that we get to be generous? Because God has poured his grace, his abundant joy into our lives through Christ so that we are overflowing in a wealth of generosity. Same thing here for mission. The power you need for mission is the power of his Holy Spirit, and it's the power that he gives to you if you're a Christian. You have that power. John chapters 15 and 16, Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit to his disciples, and he describes the the work of the Spirit as being the carrier 
of truth and the communicator of truth. John 15, 26, Jesus says, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will what? He will speak. He will testify about me. He will be a witness to me. The spirit, you see, is the first goer. He's the first witness. He's the first testifier, the first preacher of the gospel. But then Jesus says this, you know, the spirit will testify. And then he says, and therefore, you will also testify. You have my spirit. He's testifying. Now you have the spirit. You will now testify. You will testify because you've been with me from the beginning. And you're thinking, well, that's not about me because well, I've never been with Jesus in the flesh. No, but you have the spirit of Jesus living in you from the beginning of your Christian life, your Christian journey, your Christian walk, whatever you want to call it, you have been with Jesus from the beginning. You will be with him forever. And because of that, you will testify. You have everything you need because you have the fullness of the spirit, the power of Christ in you. Jesus commands us to go to make disciples of all nations. And the gospel is the ground of our going. The spirit is the power of our going. Now let's look at the last few verses here in Luke's gospel, starting in verse 50. It says, Then Jesus led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. This is the last interaction that Jesus has with his disciples before he leaves, before he's carried up into heaven. And, And his last words, you know, he... He could have given us more instructions. Uh, Oh, this is the one thing I forgot to tell you. Don't don't, don't forget this. P.S. He could have given us words of warning. Um, Make sure you don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't touch that. Um, But that's not what he does. He he leaves them with words of blessing. Uh, If you've read a bit through the Old Testament, you would have probably come across places in, 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 like in Genesis where someone is getting old and they're about to die, and they, they set aside a good chunk of time to speak a blessing over their, their children or maybe over their, their grandchildren. Um, Abraham does this. Isaac, you see this with Isaac. You see it with Jacob. Speaking blessing over their children, and that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, you have been blessed by being with me in my presence. And now, as I speak that blessing to you, you will what? You will now be a blessing. You will be a carrier of blessing. You will be a communicator of good news, of blessing. Jesus now here is carried up into heaven, which, just, just a word here, this does not mean that he floated up into the sky, kind of like a, you know, a very slow-moving rocket. That, that's, that's not what we're seeing here. It means, when it says that Jesus, when we say Jesus ascended, it doesn't mean he floated off into outer space. It means he ascended the throne. That's what we mean when, we, when the Bible says he ascended. Jesus is not a ghost. Just, I, I don't know if that, for some people, that's like a mind-blowing reality. Jesus still has a body, like his resurrection body that people touched, the body that needed to eat food, Jesus still has that body. He still dwells in that body. He still rules and reigns over heaven and earth from and in that body. 
And so when he ascended, again, it wasn't his spirit that floated off into some, you know, otherworldly reality. Now, it says he returned to heaven, which is the dimension, the reality where God exists, where he rules and reigns. And so it is separate from our dimension, our reality. But it's not like off in outer space. He is on the throne. If you want to know where Jesus is, he is on the throne, physically. And that means one thing. It means everything that is now wrong with the world in our human experience, everything that is broken, everything that is sad, everything that is running away from God, everything is about to be restored. Everything. Every lost sheep is about to be found. Every captive is about to be, is, is, is about to be free, starting in Jerusalem and radiating to the farthest corners of the earth because Jesus is on the throne. And see, you, you see the response. The disciples, they got that. That's why they had joy. They're like, we're, we see the, we, we're not naive here. We're not, we're not unaware of, of the issues, of the problems, of the persecution, of the challenges, of the setbacks, of the sinfulness, of the rejection. We, we know all of that. But we see Jesus on the throne. So we've got, we've got joy because we know how it ends. We, we know how it ends. That's why they're not just worshiping Jesus, by the way, in the temple for an hour on a Sunday. It says they're continually there. Jesus has won every battle over sin, death, and the grave. He's made a way for sinners to be forgiven and to have access to the king's table. It's not an accident that this massive worship assembly starts in the temple. Because if you go back again to the Old Testament, the temple was what? The temple was a physical building that was the symbol of God's presence with his people. But you know, not just anyone could go there. There was only a select few group of people that were holy enough and able and set apart enough to be able to go and be in God's presence. Foreigners, for example, could come and gather on the outside of the temple, but they couldn't go in. They were restricted, never inside the walls. But see, here's, here's the good news. The good news is this, that this worship, this gladness of God, was never meant to solely be confined to the inner courts of the temple in Jerusalem. And so you see this shortly after Jesus ascends to the throne in heaven. What happens to this worship service? It doesn't stay in the temple. It breaks out of the temple and into the streets of Jerusalem. Shortly after, you see this in the book of Acts, after Jesus ascends to the throne, you see the early disciples out in the streets, and they receive the power that Jesus promised from on high. And they start speaking, not simply in the language of the temple, not in religious Christianese that no one can understand, not simply in the language of the Jewish people that, mo that foreigners can't understand. They're speaking in every language, and people from every nation can understand and hear the blessing. That's how, that's, that's what happens. This joy becomes contagious. It literally becomes an epidemic of joy that starts in Jerusalem and spreads across the globe from one carrier to another to another. And it won't stop until this joy, this gladness of God is found among people in every nation, in every neighborhood. The gospel is the 
epidemic that Jesus began that will transform the world forever. See, Jesus is king. He's on the throne, and he's looking now for carriers. He's looking for super spreaders. Not saying that all of you will spread the gospel to thousands and thousands of people. Maybe just one or two faithfully over time. Disciples made through you. Jesus has shown you and me the message. It's the gospel. It's found in scripture. He's given us his spirit, who's the power of our going. And he's given us joy. He wants you to go out with joy in the midst of suffering. Because the message of the gospel and the presence of his spirit unleashes joy. Can I humbly suggest that for many of us, the reason we struggle to be carriers of the blessing, the reason we struggle to share our faith, the reason that we get a bit nervous when we think about words like mission and evangelism, is that there's a deficiency of joy in us. I think it was John Piper that said, you know, it's really hard to commend something to other people that you don't cherish yourself. And the opposite is also true. When you come to cherish something, it's almost impossible not to commend it to other people. Gladness in God gives us the energy, the desire to go. Just like we saw last week, it's gladness in God that causes us to gladly, cheerfully be generous. Gladness in God causes us to humbly, boldly, sacrificially go to those who need to hear the blessing. We've got plenty of tools, by the way, especially those of us living here in the English-speaking West in, in 2020. We've got online tools. We've got books. We've got Bible translations just coming out our ears. It's almost embarrassing the wealth of riches we have and seminars we can attend and, 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 and good gospel-preaching churches. And, and yet there are places in the world that have none of those things. But you know what? The disciples of Jesus also had none of those things. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have a church on every corner that they could, you know, just hop around and, and, and get fed in. They had the Spirit of God in them. They had joy. And they changed the world. We have the same joy. We, we and we, we have that Psalm 32 fuel joy that how, how joyful is the one whose sins have been forgiven, whose transgressions have been covered. We have that same joy. We're not, we're not limited in that way. The Lord of the universe, the one who calls every star by name, he knows your name and you know his. We have joy. How does this work in real life? I want you to picture for a minute that everyone that you meet and I think this is largely true. Everyone you meet is on some kind of a quest for meaning, for joy in life. Ask anybody what makes them happy, you'll get a lot of different answers. Ask anybody what they're chasing in life, you'll get more answers. And there are lots of teachers, lots of guides offering to help people through life, help people find joy, find meaning. 
It's as if happiness and joy and meaning is, all, is out there, but it's, it's at the top of a really tall mountain. And you've got to find, everybody's got to find the kind of the right pathway up the mountain to get to that meaning and joy that they're pursuing. And there's lots of guides that are offering to take people up the mountain. And they go by different names. One, there's a guide out there that's called Secular Materialism, which is a funny name, but it's a guide nonetheless. This guide, Secular Materialism, says that you get to the top of the mountain by being as good as or better than the people around you. And then when you get to the top, the prize is that you get to look back down on, the, on, on other people and, and, and how, you, you know, how you've made it up and, and just be really satisfied in your achievement. Uh, there's another guide called Romanticism. And, and this guide says that if you just follow your dreams and passions, follow what's there in your heart, that you will eventually get to joy. You'll get to the peak. There's another guide called World Religion. World Religion says that you get to the top by following the same tried and true, well-worn path that your parents did, that your tribe did, that your ancestors did. And when you get there, there is a prize for those who follow the path properly and correctly. Uh, there's, still, there's another guide that you might be familiar with called Gospel-less Christianity. It's similar to world religion. Uh, this one says, we'll, you know, we'll offer you some tips, some techniques on how to get to the top. Tips like giving to the poor, getting words from God, having good Christian friends, and keeping the commandments. And if you do all these things, when you get there, you just have to show up with your resume in hand and you'll get the prize. But friends, can I tell you what Jesus said about all of these guides? You might know this. He said all of them are blind. And what they don't know, and what I will tell you, what Jesus said I will tell you, is that, is that on that mountain, at the very top, it's covered in clouds. And what you can't see is that the, the further up you go, the mountain, the closer you come to a really steep edge. And it's the edge that we call death. And every single path up the mountain, all of them, will lead you to the brink of that edge. It will lead you, it will lead your neighbors, your family, to the edge of death. But here's the good news. What if I told you that joy and, and meaning aren't found in climbing the mountain at all? What if I told you that joy and meaning ha and life have come down the mountain to find you? You don't have to find the right path. You don't have to ascend because the, the path, the way, the truth, and the life has come to find you in the person and work of Jesus. That's the gospel. That Jesus left his father's throne in heaven. He descended, humbled himself, and became a man. So that any woman, any man who's groping and struggling to find joy and meaning in this life can be found in him. And so what do we do? What does it mean to go? It means to help people understand that Jesus is pursuing them. We carry people to Jesus. We carry the blessing by telling people and convincing people that he is there, that he is pursuing them that they don't have to climb anymore. They don't have to get close to the edge of death. To carry the gospel is to carry people to Jesus.
To make disciples is to pray and teach and plead with people to be more happy in Jesus than in the climb, than in their own dreams and passions. And why is this so urgent? Because the edge of death is closer and more deadly than most of us even want to think about. So go make disciples of Jesus, the only one who can rescue here in this community and especially in places where people are so busy climbing that they have no idea that rescue has already been accomplished. He's given you the message. He's given you the power of his spirit. He's given you everything he needs. And he's filled your hearts with joy so that day after day after day, you can endure anything in him. It's not easy going. I don't want to make it sound easier than it is. It's hard. Disciple making um, would be impossible without his power and his indwelling presence. But here's your opportunity. Here's your opportunity. Um, let's, let me just talk locally in our area. I've shared this with our leaders before, but nearly half the people who live in this patch of, of earth um, who call this area home declare no faith, no membership in a church or any other religion. Only around 8% of Australians gather for worship on any given weekend. 8%. Why, why is that? Um, I think it's true that 92% of Australians are, are really, really busy climbing the mountain, looking for joy in other things like sport and money and leisure and holidays and study and work. Many of those same people know that life is empty, but they don't, there's, there's no one around them to, to bring them to fullness. People are too scared. People are too isolated in their own homes and in their own worlds that they, 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 they don't know that Jesus is there pursuing them. Who will tell them? Who will go? Who will pray for them? Who will invite strangers into their homes, into their castles, and into their lives until they become a part of the family? Here's another opportunity a bit further away. We were at the Acts 29 conference a couple of weeks ago, and, and our network, our, our kind of regional network for the most, for past 10 years or so has been made up of churches and church planners from Australia and New Zealand. This year, for the very first time, um, we were able to extend that partnership to the country of Japan. And so we got to meet some church planners and Christians from Japan that had joined us in the conference. And we, they, they were asking for ways, they were telling us ways that we could pray for them. And we heard some amazing stories of what God is doing there among 120 million unreached Japanese. It's one of the largest unreached people groups in the world. Only three-tenths of one percent of them are evangelical Christians. That means if, in this room, if we were to, you know, if this was a sample size, there's a good chance that there would be zero Christians among, in a room this size if we were in Japan. And yet God is calling men and women to go and be carriers of blessing to plant churches in that country. Um, again, we met one young family with two, two little girls. They're just so, so similar to the, the young families that are here at City Light South. And when they were praying specifically, they asked us to pray for one man in their neighborhood um, who had made some, a profession of faith and said he wanted to get baptized, but then had disappeared. And they were still praying in faith that the baptism would happen on the Sunday after the conference. 
And so they returned back to Osaka, Japan, where they do ministry. And uh, we, got a, we got a message um, a couple of days later when we got back with a photo of this man being baptized in a bathtub. God heard those, those prayers because he is alive and active and on the throne just as much in Japan as he is here in Christie's Beach. And he's calling men and women to, to lay down their lives and, and go and be carriers of joy. Bring people to Jesus. We're, we're going to talk about this a lot here at, at City Light South because God loves you and has a plan for your life. Maybe you've heard that before. And that plan is for you to be a goer or a sender of goers. We're going to be hearing from some more goers in the flesh in the future, and, and we're going to be praying that God would send some of you across the street or across the world to spread this joy and make disciples in your neighborhood or maybe in a neighborhood in Osaka, Japan. Can he do that? Yes, he can. He's the king. You can do anything. So let's get ready. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are the king on the throne, that you have ascended, that you have the name that's above every other name, and that at the name of Jesus, you tell us, you promise that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that you are Lord for the glory of God the Father and for our joy and the joy of the nations. God, would you send us even this week, send us to our homes, send us to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces, send us to the nations. Father, that's a, it's a big thing to pray. I realize that. But Father, it's not too big for you. And Lord, we, we want to be agents, carriers, spreaders of blessing. Lord, would you make that happen? Lord, fill us with joy as we think about these things, as we remember your suffering, your sacrifice. Would you remind us again, Lord, the way of the cross that you've called us to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.